Before we get started today, I just wanted to take a minute to invite you to our next group consult. If you are a trauma treatment professional and want to gather with other like-minded professionals to gain support, insight, and share your own knowledge and resources, join us. You can present or you can just listen. This opportunity is open to all trauma treatment professionals. It will be held virtually and we will meet for one and a half hours. Don't miss it. Register and learn more at traumatreatmentcollective.com. Welcome to the Trauma Treatment Collective podcast. My name is Nina Keeler, a licensed marriage and family therapist and trauma specialist. In this space, we will share tips and tools on how to grow your trauma treatment skills while also keeping your own mental health in mind. Welcome to our first time listeners and welcome back to our followers. Today we have a special guest by the name of Amy Johnson. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Amy and then we'll go ahead and get into the interview. As a Howard University trained licensed independent clinical social worker, Amy has lived and worked in DC metro area for 15 years. A commitment to trauma-informed care has been born out of lived experience, understanding the reality and nuances of falling through the gaps. Professional experience in hospitals, hospice, and palliative care, rape crisis, sex, and couples therapy, and now psychedelic informed care have all complemented a framework based on client strengths, intuition, nurturance, and development of the self. Utilizing trauma-informed, non-directive harm reduction in deeply relational care models, Amy currently operates Big Tree Counseling, LLC, a psychedelic integration coaching practice in suburban Maryland, where she focuses on individuals preparing for and making sense of psychedelic experiences. Amy practices by the ethos, there's still time, start again, and often supports other professionals through mentorship, case consultation, and supervision. With no further ado, let's get to the interview with Amy. All right, Amy, thank you so much for being um, a guest on the podcast and sharing your love and your talents and your passions with our community. I'm really excited to have you. So welcome. Thanks so much, Nina. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So we're going to get started with just telling us a little bit about how your journey in psychedelic integration coaching started. How did you become passionate about it? Like, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks so much. The journey for me started way back in grad school, but maybe more to the point of the psychedelic component. Um, About three years ago, I got really interested. I was hearing great things and reading really interesting articles, but didn't exactly understand how's this going to work in our medical model and how are people going to pay for it. So I jumped into training. Um, I got really committed with fluence training I started with their Premise and Promise course. I found it absolutely um, thought-provoking and paradigm-shifting and all the good stuff that they say. And I just allowed myself to follow the path. I've been a trauma-informed social worker for years and three years ago for about 10 years. So all the pieces just kind of started to fit and made sense and allowed me to make this larger pivot into coaching and away from clinical practice. What's that been like, kind of moving away from clinical practice towards more coaching? Well, I have a few contracts here and there. So I have a contract to supervise and I have a few home care visits that are still clinical. I do retain my license and all the nuances and complexities of that. But I think my primary practice really has focused on psychedelic harm reduction and integration. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of that, that is a framework that you use. Can you talk a little bit about that framework and kind of why you like it and how it fits for you? 
Yeah, it fits for me because it really matches kind of the energy that I entered social work school with, which is meeting people where they're at and taking a trauma-informed approach that says, I really believe and I'm committed to strengths-based interventions and a strengths-based paradigm. I don't necessarily want people to feel burdened by going back and naming the trauma and revisiting the trauma. So I like to start right where people are. And in fact, sometimes in my intro sessions, I'm saying we, we don't have to go there quite yet. We just don't have to revisit all of that. And you can see the relief on people's faces and they name it, you know, thank goodness I don't have to detail this one more time. Mm-hmm. So I just take that and I've allowed, you know, I've allowed the sessions to kind of lead me. It's been a huge process of unlearning for me. I love the theories, I love the models, I love the interventions, but I also appreciate the lived experience of folks saying that's not helpful. So for me, harm reduction and psychedelic integration really fits in that nice little niche. Yeah, and so the difference between that particular model of psychedelic harm reduction and integration and um, being a cycle, like a a psychedelic therapist or like a Mm -hmm. treatment facility is that in this model or this framework, you're not actually there during the process of someone taking um, the psychedelic. You are just there for to help them get ready for it and then to help them integrate it at the end. Is that correct? Yeah, Do I have that's that correct? correct. I really, yeah. I think there's a ton of value in sitting with people who are in medicine. I also think sometimes the medicine is going to do what it's going to do. And walking people through a discernment and choiceful process of which medicine might I want to sit with who is gonna be the healthiest and most helpful to sit with me, and then kind of allowing them to have their experience and trusting the relationship that we're forming, that they'll come back, that they'll come back if it's difficult, that they'll come back if it's joyful, and that we'll have an opportunity to really process it and discern value and meaning out of out of the journey. I think that's how you take it from the place of maybe recreational use into therapeutic use, you know, purposeful driven, I want to better understand myself. Yeah, yeah, figure out how to live on, you know, with this new information. Yeah, Mm -hmm. awesome, excellent. So um, what are some signs that clients might benefit um, from seeking out someone like yourself uh, to start doing some of this work? So I have a client and I'm like, well, I think you might benefit from this. Like, what would I see? I think some of the things people see first and foremost is a sense of stuckness. Um, I think a lot of clients will say, I've been in therapy 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I've tried a number of different meds. I've gone to retreats. I've gone to camps. I've done X, Y, Z. And I think it's a wonderful place to meet them there and say, I hear you that that hasn't worked. What about psychedelics holds an appeal? And that way you're starting right from the jump with, forging an appropriate therapeutic relationship and compassionate relationship. I don't want to tell someone, I don't want to give the false expectation that one dose of medicine or one series of medicine is going to change their life like a light bulb. I think that's a fallacy and the the profession has a responsibility to really couch some of that. So I just ask people what's been going on, not just, but it's, it's somewhat informal what's been going on, what's worked and what hasn't. And it's amazing. People are so intuitive and insightful about their own process when you give them the opportunity to name it. And I hear over and over, I don't actually want psychedelics. I just want the magic bullet. So then the care can go in a different direction. 
or I have a feeling that the psychedelics will help me, but I know I'll need additional support. And then we can continue tailoring it based on their unique and individual needs. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you work alongside therapists, uh, like helping clients prepare and then do an integration and then they may go back to their their original person they were working with or something like that? Yeah, what I like to say to other providers who can get a little um, uncertain about this stuff is I, I don't have any intention to coach their clients. I want to do my portion of the work and my lens of support, and then I hope to return them either to their primary provider. And in some cases, what we're really working to is getting out of the hamster wheel of regular psychedelic of regular psychotherapy. You know, mm-hmm. people get burdened by coming in every week feeling almost like I'm just venting, I'm just kind of processing the trauma of the day. And this can be an an interesting opportunity to break some of that cycle in a healthy way, not fleeing something, but really putting intentionality behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, If community members wanted to learn more about this approach or becoming a psychedelic integrative integration coach, um, like what, how would you tell them what, what would be kind of some of the things you would encourage them to consider um, as well as maybe places to go to learn more? Yeah, I think a quick answer is there are really great resources out there. There's Psychedelic Support, which is a wonderful repository and listserv of great providers in just about every major uh, metro area. There's also other listservs like Big Tent Ketamine. Fluence has a listserv. Those are out there and they're wonderful, but I really tend to encourage people to trust the support networks they already have. Ask Mm -hmm. your friend who helped them get to this place of clarity. You know, Mm -hmm. ask someone in your community that you know and that you can trust. And sometimes that means waiting and really holding the discomfort of, I haven't found the right person yet, but I think that's part of the healing process, saying not anyone can help me with this. I really need a certain someone and I'm going to take my time to find them. Yeah, yeah. I like to say holding intention. Something about just holding intention around this is what I'm looking for. And then it kind of unfolds and it kind of, it happens. It may take time. Um, but the more we hold intention around it, the more we can kind of maybe create it subconsciously. I also hope that this kind of relational back and forth model really, really shows people I'm not the expert. I don't want to be the expert. An individual is their own expert. They've lived their experience. I really believe people know what they need or know enough of what they need to get started on a healing, uh, a more robust intuitive healing practice. So I just like reminding folks of that, that they already have so many of the answers. Happy to usher them through and almost be a Sherpa, but ultimately I wanna be beside them, not in front of them, not leading them. Yeah, yeah, very nice, very nice. Now. Uh, my guess is uh, I kind of understood that answer as it being more towards the client. What if the professional wanted to learn more? Is there anything that you would encourage professionals to think about if you're yeah, moving towards this uh, psychedelics and using those and helping clients to move through those? Yeah, I think it's such a great question and a really important point to make. I think anyone who's approaching this work really has to be in community. And if you're a client, you probably need your own support circle. And if you're a professional, you absolutely need colleagues, consult groups, continuing education, training. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad actors out there. And these cases tend to be pretty complex. We have people with long trauma histories, multimodalities of care, 
and a big sense of failure and brokenness. So it's a lot to hold and it's a lot to attempt to correct and navigate through. And I just don't think we can do it alone. So I'm part of consult groups. I regularly check in with my mentors and my colleagues. I'm reading all the time. I'm listening to podcasts all the time. I'm also doing my own work. That doesn't just mean sitting in my own medicine sessions, though I do that. It means really taking the time to say, well, how do I feel about that interaction? Where did that go? Am I falling back into that default of I'm just seeing this person to see them? Or are we tackling and approaching their issues with compassion and, and care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. You're moving into the second part of our interview about self-care. So we'll, we'll definitely move on. I'll take that cue. Uh, so you talked about doing consults, reading, listening to things, all of those things. Anything else you're doing for self-care? Um, I always like to expose our community to what other people are doing, not in hopes of, oh, I need to go do that, but just in the hopes of inspiring. So like, hey, here's some things you can try. Here's some things you can consider for your own self-care journey. Yeah. So, yeah. I really love, and I have returned to the metaphor of the toolbox all the time. And I really want to have an exhaustive list and a really huge treasure chest of things I can do. Some of the things that work best for me are sauna and stretching. So it's almost like an internal checklist. If I'm feeling a little funny, if I'm feeling a little off my game, one of the first questions I'll ask is, have I had a good long stretch? Have I sat in the sauna? And if I haven't, what does that mean? For me, it tends to mean I need a pause. I might need to clear my calendar. I might need to take the day off. And I'm a lot more accepting of myself and accepting of the weight and the value of the work. So it's that much easier to do it. But in the beginning, three years ago, it was like, oh, no, does this mean I don't know what I'm doing? I'm overwhelmed already type of stuff. But that unlearning just kind of keeps coming and showing up in really, really profound ways. I can push myself too far and too fast, but I don't want to. So I have to be mindful that I have that tendency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have to know our Achilles heels, I guess. You exactly. know, what gets us? Alex Space, we talk about it as a shadow, right? You have to know your shadow self. You have to be willing to face it and engage with it and check yourself honestly and say, this is part of my default. This is part of the capitalist mindset taking root in my practice. Do I want this here? And if I don't, well, then I've got some work to do. What's one thing you wish you would have known before starting your career journey? This is such a good question. And I think it's a little bit of a sticky question, like elbows out question. Uh, Like I say, I've been a clinical social worker for 12 or 13 years. I really wish I had more insight and information around how poorly compensated mental health clinicians are. I went to Howard. What an amazing experience. I've learned a lot. I've been doing continued education all this time. It's a lot of money for a profession that doesn't necessarily pay that back to you. There's also so much work in being an entrepreneur, marketing, learning how to manage and structure a business, learning how to do outreach, learning how to do your taxes. No one teaches you that when you're an MSW. It's kind of like, well, that's a business thing, so you don't need to know. And then you're right there in the space needing to learn it on the fly. So... I'm grateful for my education and training, but man, oh man, I wish I knew how complicated this lens, this element would be. Yeah, 
when you said that, I had a flashback to getting out of graduate school and getting my first job and being like, that's that's all I'm getting paid. That first check really threw me for a loop too. Let me say my first check working in the DC metro area at a major hospital, seeing that number really gave me pause. What am I doing? What have I just committed so much of my time and resource to? Because this can't be it. Mm-hmm. And yet, I keep doing the work. I keep showing up. I found my way through. But it would have been incredible to be helped through that process. Yeah, I agree. Well, anything else you feel like you want to add before I ask you our final question that we haven't talked about that you were hoping that we might talk about or that you just think is good to share? I think it's good to share that, you know, psychedelic integration work can really lean into the psychedelic element of that phrase, but I really take it as the integration piece that there are so many opportunities where we can shift our perspective. It's going back to that exhaustive self-care laundry list or that toolbox or that treasure chest, anything that can help you attain clarity, regain some confidence, really find a way to sit with and explore the self. There's so many options available. It doesn't have to be a drug. It doesn't have to be a person. It can be sitting in silence with yourself and being honest with your journal. So I just like to remind people the integration is much more important than actually the drug part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's important because I think a lot of focus is on the drug part or the medicine. I so appreciate you saying that because it's part of what some of us in the space are, are trying to right size and trying to soften. These medicines are really wonderful and they've been around for a millennia and our culture doesn't exactly support them. We don't have a culture that says, take the day off, go for a forest bath, take the weekend off and don't worry about it. So it's quite a heavy lift to start saying, you know what, I do need that time and I do deserve that time and I will give myself that time. And if medicine starts that process, wonderful, but it certainly doesn't have to. Nice. As you're talking about that, I'm thinking of Rest is Resistance. Um, Oh, yeah. Work, um, that book, that author um, will link that. Definitely. I think that is a a way to help you to kind of start to pull some of those layers back um, if you decide not medicine. Okay. Final question. What's one thing you don't mind sharing with the community? Kind of like a fun fact about yourself. Um. I don't know how fun this fact is. It's a little bit of a hard truth, but I like hard truths. (laughs) This work has reminded me of the value of my own intersectionality and that I can really name who I am and how I am and be, and it can be a shame-free, proud, empowered experience to say, I'm a black woman too. I'm a single mom too. I'm a trauma survivor too, and not hide from that. I think a lot of my training was, you know, tabula rasa, just kind of be the person in the chair. And it always felt a little icky. And now I feel more and more confident saying, I just don't want to practice that way. I don't hold that as a value for myself. So this this lens of allowing me, Amy, to show up in the room, not the counselor or the coach or the therapist, has really been um, quite empowering and shifting for me and the work yeah. that I do. That's rich. I think when you find whatever that model framework is that allows you to show up, specifically in trauma work, um, I find that 
it just allows the work to move into to be as healing for you as it is for your client. Um, so whatever that looks like, whether that is this particular mother that we're talking about or something else, it's just being able to fully show up in the room and not be this blank slate. Um, it just and makes I think sense. also acknowledging people don't like the blank slate. You know, that's that's someone else's model from a time that's long past and people don't like it. They don't appreciate it. And very frankly, a number of my clients who tend to be black women feel gaslit by the idea of you're the expert and you are not telling me what to do. So what a wonderful opportunity to kind of rewire that thinking. I am not the expert in your life. You are, and I'm here to support you. You name for me how I can best achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. Well, that is it. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much. Yeah, talking about your journey and your passions um, and things that you learned along your journey. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thanks so much, Mina. All right, that is it for today. Take good care. Hope you enjoyed our episode for today. Just a quick reminder before you head out, just make sure you head over to the traumatreatmentcollective.com to learn more about our monthly group consults. We would love to have you join us.